it to us. If you've got a Bible, you won't, unless you can find it on the screen. Can you find Exodus for me? Exodus 31 as well. We'll read that soon. Exodus 31. About the first half a dozen verses I want to draw your attention to. <coughs> this morning we are <coughs> continuing our theme of grace and we are up to the letter A. Our second week on A about being active, being participants of uh, joining together and supporting, working. Um, and specifically this morning we're talk about spiritual gifts, of how God has gifted us, shaped us. And if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, then the passage that Janola just read to us indicates that each one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit, has been given to each one of us. We all have a spiritual gift. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you have a spiritual gift. So, before I pray, um, can we stand together? I want to ask you two questions. And this is not designed, my intention is not wanting to hurt or embarrass or point things out or anything like that. I just want to, I just think you're going to be more honest if I do it by standing rather than a show of hands. My question is, my question is very simply this, about spiritual gifts. If you know, you're confident, you know what your spiritual gift is, please be seated. Just have a quick look around and then you can be seated as well. We did this in the 8.30 service. About 40% of the people, I'm guessing, 40% sat down in the first question. That left about, obviously, 60%. They're about over half. In this congregation, I'm guessing, I'd say about 15, 20% sat down to the question, knowing what their gift is, which means about 80% of you this morning either... Are not confident or you don't know what your gift is. And that's not God's intention for you. He wants you to know. So we're going to talk about that this morning. Of how can I discover my gift? And I want to say right at the beginning, it's very easy and difficult. The process is very easy, but the following the process can be very challenging. There's no forms to fill in or anything like that. And they are out there in the community and you can buy them. And they're helpful, they give indicators, but I think there's a better way, biblically. Before I pray, I also want to make one announcement either change. I'm not sure if it's in the bulletin or not, but there is a working bee which has been set for the Queen's birthday weekend in June, which is about three weeks away. And because it is the long weekend, they're changing that date. They're bringing it forward a Saturday. So now it'll be on the... First Saturday, whatever that is, the 2nd of June. There's also a leaders get-together on that day, 8 till 10, but leaders can hang around and go to the working bee after 10 if they can. But otherwise, they're changing the date, so just to give you a, a little bit of extra notice for that. And I should also announce to some of you, I'm not sure if you've heard of it or not, but a lady who goes to our crafts group, her name is Betty, Betty Haywood. I think uh, she has uh, a couple of sons. Her son, a 39-year-old son, had a massive heart attack, I think, this week and died. So we'll remember Betty and we'll pray for her this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we 
find ourselves again together and in your presence and glad to be here. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this opportunity. And we know that it's your intention, your desire for us to learn together and to be encouraged to be fully devoted, to be a passionate follower of the Lord Jesus. So we pray for ourselves this morning, Lord, that you might speak to us by your Spirit, that you might help us not only to understand, but to respond in obedience to what you say to us. We remember uh, Betty Haywood and her husband and the situation they find themselves in now and ask that you might uh, communicate to them extra portions of your grace, that they might have a sense of your presence and of your peace. We rejoice, Lord, with Josh Sanders in his um, uh, what? recognition as Apprentice of the Year as well. And we pray, Lord, for all of our missionaries, for Terry and all, that you might help us to keep holding those shields right here to protect them. And likewise, Lord, to protect ourselves here. Be with our Sunday school teachers now who are teaching and imparting truth to young lives. And we pray that you might bless them and use them and me, Lord, now for your purposes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 31. When we come to talk about spiritual gifts, often we get the impression, maybe because of the adjective at the front of it, spiritual gifts, we get this idea that they're sort of like mysterious or super spiritual or something like that. <clears throat> when, in fact, they are called spiritual gifts because they come from the spirit. They are spirit-given gifts. And they are gifts or abilities that the spirit gives to believers that manifest his presence in a consistent manner. We all have them. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, you have a spiritual gift. And it's just a matter then of how can I discover what it is? Because the New Testament reminds us that we are accountable, that we will give account for our lives, not just to the material things that we have and how we use or spend or share things, but we give account for our gifts and whether we have been faithful in using them. And you can't be a good steward if you don't even know what your gift is. So we need to learn together and encourage each other and share, to share together so that we might prepare for that final day of accounting. Exodus 31 is a passage I wanted to read to you as well to point out a contrast. One of the dilemmas I have with spiritual gifts um, is are they different to, and if they are, what is the difference to natural abilities? Everybody says they are distinct, that they are different. And in one sense, I can understand it. But it gets to a point where it becomes, well, perhaps meaningless is too strong a word, but it becomes unnecessary. For instance, they are distinct. Natural abilities and spiritual gifts are distinct in terms of natural talents are given to us by the Creator when we are born. They're natural talents. They belong to the natural realm. Spiritual gifts are given to us by the Spirit when we are born again, when we become followers of Jesus. They are not from birth, they are from the new birth. Now, there are exceptions to that, but generally speaking, that's the case. Natural talents uh, serve for the pleasures in this world, in this life, natural talents and abilities. Spiritual gifts, likewise, have benefit in this life, but they have more of a spiritual fruit or impact. So there is a distinction. But at the end of the day, 
if I am a follower of the Lord Jesus and I am fully committed to him, then my natural talents and abilities with my gifts are to be brought into submission, surrender to him and are to be available for him to use. For instance, if I had the natural ability or talents to play the keyboard, which I don't have, but if I did have it, and you can play that for enjoyment, and some of you people do have it, um, and you can play that for enjoyment and so on, but it's not a spiritual gift, it's a natural talent. But taking that natural talent and in surrender to the Lord Jesus and playing you know, with a spirit-filled attitude and motives, by playing the keyboard, you can be a blessing to God's people. The Spirit of God can take your natural talent and minister blessing to others through it. Can he not? I think he can. So while they are distinct, and we are just going to talk about spiritual gifts, the reality is, whether it's an ability or a talent or a gift, doesn't matter. They are to be brought into submission and made available to the Lord Jesus for him to work through. Okay? So having got that out of the road, let's read Exodus 31. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship pretty natural sort of list, isn't it? Creative, but in the natural realm. But it comes from and is linked with being filled with the Spirit of God. And I have given him these special skills and abilities. And not only that, verse 6 goes on to say, moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of that man of the tribe of Dan, to help him. And I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything that I commanded you. Natural talents and abilities, spiritual gifts from God. The creator gives us our abilities and talents. The redeemer gives us our spiritual gifts. And as I'm saying this morning, both are to be made available to him. Well, what is a spiritual gift? Let's focus upon that. This is my definition. A spiritual gift is an ability to perform a function in the body of Christ. It's a spirit-empowered ability to perform a function in the body of Christ. So for the body, the congregation, for the church to function properly, then each part has to be contributing, has to be active, has to be involved in using their particular gifts and abilities to make their contribution to the whole. Spiritual gifts, as I have said, are not mysterious or spooky They're given by the Spirit, they're empowered by the Spirit, and they manifest the Spirit. They're given to all believers, and the spiritual gifts will, when used properly, will bring forth fruit. That's one of the things that may be also a distinction. Natural talents will not produce fruit. God can take them and make them do that, but the Spirit will work more often through the gifts to produce fruit, spiritual fruit, righteousness, Worship, salvation, edification of the body, joy and peace and so on. These things come through spiritual gifts. 
there's an intertwine between being given a gift and also the human element, that there is a, de- a necessity for us, as being the recipients of the gifts, to cooperate and to develop. We are given the gifts and it's our responsibility to not only identify them but to use them and to grow them and to grow with them. And in the process of doing that, there are things that we must do. So one of my spiritual gifts is teaching, but I still have to read, I still have to study, I still have to plan, I still have to consider issues, I still have to bring some order to it, I still have to pray and rely on the Lord to speak through me. But there's, I still have to put in effort. Not like one guy at one church where I attended one time, where he was the preacher for that day and he stood up and he simply prayed and then he opened his Bible and started to read and preach from that passage. All I can remember about that service was that experience. It was awful. Now, he was doing that deliberately, intentionally, because he was expecting to be spirit-led at that point, and that if he had the spiritual gift, then he had to do anything. The Lord would do everything. Well, I don't think that's biblical. That's not how the Lord works. He gives, he imparts, but he cooperates with. That's why our church mission statement says that we are working together with God working with God in transforming people into passionate followers of Jesus. God is at work and he invites us to come and join him in the task. So if you've got a spiritual gift, if you know what it is, then you know that you have to do your bit. You've got the gift of helps, that's the dud gift, that's the one that nobody wants. We all think it's the lowest gift, but it's an incredibly necessary gift, the gift of helps. You know, it's the what's the word? It's the When every other gift is gone, it's the one that's left, whatever that word is, um, that most people think they've got. But it's incredibly important. Preparing meals, assisting people, supporting them, doing very practical assisting, supporting. If you've got the gift of giving, you've still got to make money, otherwise you've got nothing to give. That's my point is that the divine and the human are together, working together. The spirit is working with us and we are working in reliance upon the spirit to manifest his reality in this world. I think, associated with that intertwine and interworking, there can also therefore be the necessity for us to make sure that we are holy, to make sure that we are clean spiritually, that we are pure, that we are not... Excusing or rationalising away any particular sinful habits or um, being disobedient to the Lord in any areas that uh, we are not being prepared to deal with. Because if we are impure, unclean, then that will hinder, it will grieve, quench the working of the Spirit in us. Having said that, uh, God is a God who is sovereign, who can use anybody in any condition, And we are never completely clean. There are always elements of sin within us. And I just remind you that Samson, who lived a very carnal life, was also, in the midst of that carnality, also greatly used by God to perform amazing feats, empowered by the Spirit. And God can do whatever God wants he wants to do. Usually, he works through clean vessels. But there are exceptions. And I told the earlier congregation, Howard Hendricks, there was a pastor in a Dallas church 
who uh, was the preaching pastor and he at the same time his preaching was having an affair with three different women in the congregation and through his ministry people were still coming to faith people he was still being blessed and Howard Hendricks wrestled with it he couldn't figure it out he thought that was wrong of God to bless him because of this obvious sin in his life to which Howard Hendricks received some word from the Lord to say that that God wasn't blessing him that God was blessing his word the gospel to bring people to faith in him but for the individual because of his disobedience there was no blessing in it what I'm saying is uh, we're safer to be pure but just because someone uh, is greatly being used by God doesn't necessarily mean that they are pure or does that make sense? I'll move on. Um, gifts need to be developed. God uses spiritual gifts deliberately. He gives us different talents, different abilities, different gifts so that we can work together. He doesn't give one person a whole stack of gifts and none to somebody else. The Bible says clearly we all get a gift, at least one, and often it's a cluster. You get one primary gift and maybe a couple of secondary gifts, whatever. But you get at least a gift and the purpose is that you can be assisting and helping one another which of course means that if you have a gift and you do and you're not using it then not only you're affected but the church is affected we suffer we are lesser than what we could be that's why we're talking about being active in the life of the church the story is told of two men one by the name of Overton who was blind and another man whose name I think is Kasprzak. Kasprzak. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. And he didn't have any arms. Armless. They met at law school in Chicago. Overton, who was blind, but had arms. And Kasprzak, who could see, but didn't have any arms. They met one day, somehow in the hall, where Overton, the blind guy, was carrying the books the other guy without arms and they worked together so that Kasprzak the guy without arms would read the books that Overton was holding and that Overton who was blind would be turning the pages when he was told to by doing that together they got through law school together and graduated together and then went into law practice together incredible isn't it not a bad illustration of the church. God has given some of us certain abilities and we also have certain weaknesses. And it's by working together that we support each other and achieve the purpose or the goal. There is diversity within the gifts. You may have several people here may have, say, the gift of teaching or the gift of evangelism. doesn't matter. Pick one. But within having that same gift by name, there are various levels or types of giftedness. So I'll pick teaching. So you could have a teaching gift which uh, enables you or God uses you like in the pulpit, like in public teaching like this. Or it might be he uses your teaching gift but in a small group context. Or you might have a teaching gift but he uses it in more one-on-one -on -one or in writing and you teach through writing. Uh, it's the same gift, it's teaching for the benefit of the body but it's manifested in different ministries. You may have a teaching gift but it's primarily for the teaching of children or youth or whatever. So there is a variety also within the gifts. And I think I want to say the New Testament 
does not provide us with an exhaustive list of gifts. That's a debated point, but my view is I don't think the New Testament sets out to give you an entire list of all of the gifts that are ever available. Why do I say that? Because of the eight lists of gifts that are given in the New Testament, there are eight of them in four key passages. When you look at those eight lists, none of them are the same. Some are longer, some are shorter, some have gifts in it that are not in this one. Each of them usually has a gift which is unique to that list. Um, Sometimes the gifts are very similar, but some are in or some are out. So there's no consistent listing of the gifts. Um, And there are some things that we would say are gifts that are not in the New Testament list. For instance, would you say hospitality is a gift? I would. Some people have it. We all have to be hospitable. But some people are just gifted at it. They're very good at it. Some people are very creative, like we were reading in Exodus 31. Well, you could be a creative in writing books, writing songs, could be creative in music or art. Research and scholarship is not listed, but I think that's a gift which greatly benefits the body of Christ. So what's the point? There are other gifts. The New Testament gives us pointers, a good place to start, but don't be surprised, there could be others that are not listed as well. There are four misunderstandings of the gifts before I come to talk to you about, teach you about, well, how do I discover my gift? There are four misunderstandings that I need to clear out of the way before we do that. Number one, we have misunderstanding of the purpose of the gifts when we use it to parade ourselves spiritually, to pretend that we are spiritually superior because we have a certain gift. Um, There are certainly an ordering or a ranking, if you like, of the gifts in Corinthians. He talks about first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. There's a ranking. But that's in terms of benefit to the body, I'm sure. That's the context. Outside of that, there is no listing of the gifts in any particular order and that all gifts from the Spirit are just wonderful and they have a purpose. Even the gift of tongues, the ones that, the one that we might be the most um, intimidated by or afraid of. But I would expect some of us, some of you, may very well have this gift. It's a gift of speaking or praying in a language that you've never learned, praying in an unknown language. It's an incredible gift. I wish I had it. I don't have it because I think it would be a great assistance in prayer. But there are people who have the gift of tongues and they use that to almost indicate that they are spiritually better than somebody who doesn't have the gift. You may have met people like that. You can do that with any of the gifts. So we misunderstand and we misuse the gifts whenever we do that. Spiritual gifts do not elevate us. They elevate him. He is the one manifesting his presence through us in that particular area. Number two, we misunderstand spiritual gifts when we use it as an excuse to excuse ourselves from other responsibilities. Oh, that's not my gift. I can't do that. The reality is we all have biblical responsibilities and we, are, we have practical duties we have to be involved in. Whether we have a gift or not in these areas, we are commanded to give, to witness, to pray, to teach, to worship, to be hospitable, to greet, to help, to encourage, to lead, to have mercy, to welcome. They're all commands in the New Testament. So we can't say, it's not my gift, therefore I'm not doing it. I said in the first service, 
There are some very often very practical duties and things we must do. For instance, nobody ever wants to do this. We need someone who's going to clean our church toilets. Has anybody got a gift for that? (laughs) Someone's pointing at somebody beside her. I was trying to use an illustration in the earlier service to say, what's the thing that nobody likes to do? But we have to do it. And nobody has a spiritual gift for it because it isn't a spiritual gift that I'm aware of. Well, you know what happened at the end of the first service? We had, you want prayer, then come to the front and we'll pray for you. This young couple came forward. They hadn't been in the church. They just started this year, I think. They thought I was being serious. They thought we're looking for someone to clean the toilets. They came to offer to clean the toilets. Isn't that incredible? There's servant-heartedness for you. Nobody else wants to do that? We'll do that. Wow. I was impressed and apologetic, you know. It's and then he gave me two options. They said, were you serious or were you joking? Well, I wasn't joking, but I wasn't serious either. I was trying to illustrate a point. But I was blown away by... They, quite sincerely, came as a young couple and just simply said, we'll do it. Wow. I need someone to clean my car. (laughs) Anybody got a spiritual gift? See, the Lord works. He moves in mysterious ways. Um, Third misunderstanding. So we can use spiritual gifts to excuse ourselves from other responsibilities. Like, it doesn't matter like what. I just encourage you all to come to the working bee. Number three, we misunderstand and it's dangerous to do and you've probably heard it. I call it gift projection. It's where we project our gift onto somebody else, anybody else. It's almost false humility, but I don't want to judge that. But it can be, oh, if I can do this, you can do this. This is easy. No, it's easy for you because it's your gift. It's not a gift. It can be a hard thing to do. So gift projection is where we assume anybody can do it because we can do it. And finally, we misunderstand spiritual gifts or we're not being very helpful. When the people we use to illustrate what a spiritual gift is, is we refer to the giants of the faith. We refer to those people who are extraordinarily gifted in those particular areas. For instance, do you have the gift of evangelism? Let me tell you about what the gift of evangelism is and I'll talk to you about Billy Graham. And you'll go, not Billy Graham. But a person may have the spiritual gift of evangelism And they may lead a handful of people to Christ every year or whatever. They're always turning conversations to Christ. That's their gift. That's the spirit working through them in that area. But they would never compare themselves to someone like Billy Graham. And therefore they could falsely draw the conclusion, oh, I don't have that gift. Because we use the giants to illustrate it. Gift of mercy, Mother Teresa. Gift of giving, Latournia, the guy who tithed and the more he tithed the more he made so the bigger his tithe grew until he's giving away 90% of his income and he's a multi-millionaire. It's a fantastic story and it is a tremendous illustration of the gift of giving but the gift of giving is also by someone who doesn't have millions but who is very generous and works hard, saves a lot and either gives financially or gives practical assistance, buys things for other people demonstrating the gift of giving and so on. 
you know, the illustration of faith would be George Mueller. Um, or the gift of teaching, you just name your hero. We all have them and they're all out there. Well, if you don't teach like that person, then you don't have the gift. We do ourselves a misservice when we do that. So, how do we discover my spiritual gift? <laughs> how do you discover your spiritual gift? Five ways. The first two you can cheat on because the first two have already been done for you, but it's still good for you to do. Here they are. God gave you a gift. This is just general motherhood statement. And he wants you to know it. He wants you to use it. He wants you to develop it for his honour and for his glory. So just to repeat and to emphasise, spiritual gifts are not top secret. They are not hidden away and classified for the spiritually elite. They are obvious and they are to be discovered and used and enjoyed. Well, how do we do it? Step one. Go to the New Testament and go to those eight different lists and make a complete listing, as best you can, of the gifts that are in the Bible. Use different versions as well because sometimes they will use a different English word to communicate or to express that particular truth and it will bring clarity to what that gift is perhaps being referred to. Number two associated with that is then do some work to give a simple, concise definition of each of the spiritual gifts. Gift of faith. My definition? The ability to believe and to trust God based upon his revelation. The ability to believe and trust God based upon his revelation. Something like that. A simple, concise definition. Do that for all of the gifts. And if you have the gift of teaching or research or something like that, they are two good exercises for you to do. If that's not your gift, then let me tell you, this has already been done. We can give you a copy of the list. We can give you the simple definitions. But it's worthwhile. It's a good exercise for you to do as well. I didn't write it. I've flogged it of somebody else. But I think it's a very helpful process. And you need to be careful while you do that of not attributing current practices to Bible definitions. The Bible will often define its own terms. It'll give illustrations of where the gifts have been used and or exercised. So it's read your Bible. Use the Bible to explain what the Bible is saying. And then number three. This is the most important step of all. And it's the hardest. Obey the Scriptures. Commit yourself to being fully obedient. Lord, if the Bible says it, if you say it in your word, I will do it. If your word says stop doing it or don't do it, then I won't. Commit yourself to being fully obedient to the commands, the imperatives, to God's instructions to believers. And it's as you walk in obedience that your gift will become obvious, certainly to others and probably to you. Why? Because all of the gifts line up with the commands and the imperatives in the New Testament. That God has given believers his instructions for us to walk in obedience and through that process of obeying him, those gifts that he has given to us will emerge. You will find greater ease, greater blessing, greater joy and satisfaction in those particular areas. Make sense? Commit yourself to obeying the scriptures. Having made that commitment, number four, 
is to do some sort of an evaluation. Take that list of the gifts with those definitions and, like I said, we can give it to you um, to start with. <clears throat> and then prayerfully read through each gift and there's a threefold response. I have that gift. I'm not sure if I have that gift or not. I don't have that gift. And those eliminations, I don't have that gift, is very helpful. Eliminating is just as helpful as identifying. Make sense? And even on the ones where you go, I think I might have that gift, I don't have that gift, when you're in the middle, I'm not sure, do I or don't I, the chances are very high that you will instinctively also be leaning towards, I don't have that gift, I don't think, I'm not sure if I have that gift, but I might. You're leaning positively. Or, I'm not sure if I have that gift, but I'm leaning negative. You'll be leaning one way or the other. And record that. Having been through the whole process then, take the ones that you ticked as the top ones of, I think I might have that gift. I think I do have that gift, whatever. Take those, and there'll be a list of, I don't know, two, three, four, five, or six gifts. It could be up to that size. And then, understanding the definition of them, look for the places in the church where those gifts could be used. Go ask the ministry leaders if you could get involved in helping them in their ministry. Say, tell them, I'm on a gift discovery process. I just want to try this for a period of time. Can I assist you in this area, and can you give me feedback? What happens if I identify a gift and I can't find any place in the church where that could be used? We'll start something. You do the maths, you do the numbers very quickly. If there are 600 adults in our church, there aren't 600 positions. I guesstimate there's three or 400 people involved in different things. That's a couple of hundred people who are not involved in something. So I'm not sure there's that many vacancies, but there is the opportunity for you to either join something or start something. Does that make sense? So let me challenge you to do that. Look for places where you can serve and then be open to feedback. There was a lady, her name was Helen, in a previous church. We went through this process with her. We had this listing uh, and definitions and we did it over two Saturdays. And the first Saturday you got to go through all of this and we explained everything. And had to go home, you had a whole week to do this exercise, to prayerfully before God evaluate yourself against the gifts. And she did that. She came back and she had ticked, I don't have that gift on all of them. She came back the next Saturday, shared with a group of about a dozen people and said, I don't have a spiritual gift. Ding, ding. Well, that's not true. You do have a spiritual gift. And it could be that you've been very harsh on yourself in the way you've marked it. So just right now, just around the group. And the people who knew Helen, went around, we went around the group and they told her what they thought her gift was. And it was amazingly affirming for her. Because there's about like six, eight of them all said the same thing. So now you're getting confirmation from the body that they can see this strength, this ability in you. And that's often how God will give it to you as well. That it'll be, as you serve in the body, walking in obedience, people will see areas of strength emerging for you. And often others can see it in you if you can't see it in yourself. Fifth way, fifth point. Um, because spiritual gifts are serving gifts, they are given to serve the body for us to be active in. The Spirit of God who gives us these spiritual gifts abilities also gives us with them certain desires. And without being overly analytical, 
it's probably also true, probably also true, that what frustrates you, that what you notice, that what you feel is not right, is probably, can be, also in the area of your giftedness. So what do you notice? What stands out for you? What have you observed? What needs to be done? This needs to be done. Well, without being dogmatic, the chances, I think, are high that if you have that sense, it's probably linked in with an area of your giftedness. It will not be distinct from it. I think the Holy Spirit gives us those desires to help us work it out together. For instance, let me illustrate it this way. Imagine a group of believers go to a restaurant together. I'm not sure of this congregation, but certainly after the first congregation, there's a group of people often go off to a restaurant or a coffee shop or something like that. There's probably a group of you guys that do it as well. Imagine when you go there, there's a group of believers who are at a table in a restaurant and at the table next door to you, the waitress is bringing out a plate of food and she drops the plate. Right? All believers, same event. Um, each of the believers will react differently to that event, often according to their own giftedness. For instance, if somebody has the gift of mercy or the gift of helps, your first reaction, the way that you respond to it, is going to be a desire to want to assist in some way. You want to help clean up or something like that. If you're a person who has the gift of giving, then your first response will probably be, what can I do to assist here? Do I need to pay for another meal or pay for another cup of coffee or what can I do to help? If you've got a prophetic or an encouraging gift, then you will want to encourage the waitress. You'll want to support her in some way. There, there, dear. Something. If you have a leadership or administration gift, then your first thing will be you want to organise other people to avoid confusion or you'll want to evaluate what happened or something like that. If you've got a gift of teaching, then you'll want to take the waitress aside and teach her how to carry a tray <laughs> so that it doesn't happen again. Different gifts are also manifested in our different reactions to things. Now, it's not infallible, but it's a pointer, it's an indicator, because it's God at work in us. Does that make sense? Right. So therefore, on the basis then of your evaluation, either of going through the list or of doing it with others or experimenting and having a go, devote yourself, and this is the response for today, devote yourself to doing your best. Devote yourself to doing what you do best. We all do some things better than others. Devote yourself especially to doing what you do better than other things without being disobedient to any of the other imperatives or requirements that God has for us but concentrate your efforts in the process of doing that to be actively involved in the body. So to summarise, spiritual gifts come from God the Spirit. They are given at conversion or after conversion. They are given to empower an individual to perform a function. There is some cooperation from us with the Spirit to be involved. We have to develop them. God uses spiritual gifts to build unity in the body of the church. He uses different people working together. There is a diverse range, even within the same gift, for different sizes of groups or different age groups. The New Testament is not exhaustive in the list that it gives, but it is indicative of the sorts of gifts from the Spirit. 
we do ourselves harm, we misunderstand spiritual gifts when we think they make us spiritually superior or we use them to excuse responsibility or we project them onto others. Discovering spiritual gifts is easy and hard. Process is easy. Make a list, define them, commit to obeying, evaluate and then get involved. It's hard because you have to be obedient to all of God's commands and committing yourself to them. So let's do that now. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you're the head of the church and you're the one who is worthy of our service, of our best service. We know, Lord, from your word that you have given us gifts, uh, abilities to perform certain functions and particularly in the context of the church. So, Lord, for those who do know their gifts, I pray that you might strengthen and encourage them, bless them and use them. For those, Lord, who are uncertain, I pray that you'll use your word and their commitment, their desire to want to know more and to serve better. That you might grant them the desire of their heart, but you would also, Lord, grant clarity that we might assist each other in our gift discovery process. We ask, Lord, that you might help us to be a church which is actively engaged together in serving you to achieve your purposes in the world. And we pray all of this for Jesus' sake. Amen.